Hi. My name is Tom, like, like Rob said. Um, it's a real pleasure to be here this morning uh, and speaking to you, bringing God's word to you. If you don't know me, um, I'm one of the elders here, and I've been coming here since I was about 16. Uh, I'm married to Sarah, my beautiful Sarah, with three children who are probably causing some sort of terror at the back of the hall. Um, so we're, we're looking at the book of Thessalonians at the moment. We're in Thessalonians 4, and we're continuing our series on faith under fire. We're working through the book, and today we're going to be looking at chapter 4. So I will need you to open your Bibles and look at chapter 4, verses 9 to 12. And that's where Owen left us last week. Okay. So the chapter begins with the church being encouraged by Paul to continue their spiritual growth. So their conduct in this is notable, but they need to seek to do even more. Paul is clear about sexual purity, which Owen talked about last week, and he calls the church to lead a peaceful, productive, and quiet life. So last time I spoke, actually, I was, I was criticized fiercely, I'm joking, um, for not including a map. So I thought it would be a really good idea, actually, to have a map to see where, because where are we? It's always good to know where we are. So can we have the map, please, Kurt? That's where we are. We're there. Um, we're in Hailsham. So for those of you that didn't know that, the toilets are over there and the exit's there as well. So good. That helps everyone. It's good to know where we are. So reading from um, verse 9, uh, I'm going to read here. It should be on the screen as well. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Paul calls us to love one another, and to demonstrate the love of God to the outside world through our love for one another. So I'm going to be speaking about the love and family and work and finances. And I really want you to be caught up with Paul's words to the church. And that means allowing yourself to be challenged where Paul leaves us with a challenge and to be encouraged where Paul encourages. So starting then on this theme of brotherly love, isn't it amazing that the manner in which we show the love of God demonstrates the person of Jesus Christ to those around us? John 13, 35 says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now just hang on a minute. Let's just take two seconds to understand how profound those words are. Jesus turned water into wine... He raised people from the dead, and he healed the sick. He spent his ministry performing incredible miracles that made him famous in just three years. He gives us the power and the authority in his name to carry out these works, but he says it's not by miracles that people are going to know that we're Christians, but it's by the love that we have for one another. And so how is the church going to be noticed in the community? Is it because how impressive the building looks? Thankfully not. Well, the, the outward appearance of Jesus was nothing to be notable about. The attractiveness of Jesus, 
The allure of Jesus is his words and his actions, not his appearance. The love you have for the people in this room will be a witness to people around you who don't know the love of God. God is choosing to be represented to the world by the love you have for each other. So this is beautiful, and this is absolutely terrifying. It's beautiful because despite his power and despite his sovereignty, he chooses to be represented by his fallen and flawed, broken people as they set their minds to be more like him. That's so beautiful. But it's terrifying because that's a responsibility. We have a responsibility to represent God in our actions. And we can represent him badly. If we don't love each other well, but act selfishly, we'll become hypocrites and dishonor his name. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, than he that lays down his life for his friends. Self-sacrifice is the epitome of love. And so, perversely, selfishness is the opposite of love. If selfless love demonstrates that we are his disciples, then selfish actions demonstrate to the world that we're not following Jesus. Let's just dig a little bit further into this. You can keep your thumb there and you can flick across to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21. Is this your water, Rob? I'm going to drink it anyway. Oh, lovely, thanks. I can't get COVID, apparently. Anyway, um, I shouldn't have just said that publicly. That was a ridiculous thing to say. Um, Verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affections. Outdo one another in showing honour. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one for evil, evil for evil, but give thought to, give thought to do what is honourable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. This is a really wonderful unpacking of what it means to follow Jesus' compartment to one, love one another. He says... Verse 9, let your love for one another be a genuine love, right? Don't pay lip service to each other, saying one thing when somebody's with you and then saying quite the opposite when they're not. Paul is calling for us to be 100% genuine with each other as a family. Love one another with brotherly affection, it says. Fraternal love. The Greek word is philia. 
The Greek have six words for love, which is really lovely because we only have one. And sometimes it's really hard to express that because you say the word love and it means so many different things. But philia is the love that cares for another person's needs without being associated with romantic feelings. Because the thing is, you can't act indifferently towards someone you love with brotherly or sisterly affection. You just can't do it. This is the type of love that's present within a marriage as you join together as friends with your children and, of course, with your wider family. With your own earthly family, the natural, God-given instinct is to be caring, to act sensitively and lovingly towards their needs, to spend time with them and to listen to them, have meals with them, encourage them and help them when they're sick. Those are natural desires. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. We don't often look at these verses, but what do they mean? Well, rejoice with those who rejoice. Be elevated with people as they make significant achievements. Laugh with them, celebrate with them. Don't put them down because you feel bad that you didn't quite get what they've got. Don't act cynically. Rejoice with them. Allow yourself to be excited with them. Weep with those who weep. Allow yourself to be taken down into somebody's journey of pain if they're suffering. And just sit there with them and weep with them. Don't compare the pain to a similar situation you heard about. Or don't remind them of so-and-so who's even worse. Just sit with them and grieve. That's what it's like to weep with those who weep. Paul reminds us through these verses how to love each other as siblings. So I grew up with three sisters. They're all older than me, hurtling through their 40s, which means at some point I'm going to follow. (laughs) But let me tell you, there was not always brotherly or sisterly love in the home. There was not always love. They would wind me up so much, um, and I'd be really horrible back. So we had this family thing. It's going to be really hard to explain, but it was called Aha, right? And basically, if you got somebody else in trouble with mum or dad, you would squint your eyes and go, Aha, I got you in trouble. It was so irritating. Okay, but eventually mum and dad caught on, and if you were caught doing that, you got into loads of trouble, because obviously it's a big wind-up but it just drove it underground, right? So in total, secrecy, in total secrecy, visible only to the intended victim, with just this, just that, it was all it would be, literally. Mom would be shouting at me and my sister would be, and that would be it, and that would be enough to make my blood boil. My mama, she's doing it! And, and it, I'm not doing anything, not me. This is not a good example of fraternal love, okay? This is not a brilliant example. One time, I stole two pounds from my sister's windowsill when I was in year three, and I went to school in Groveland, and I bought a little purse that goes around your neck with a popper on it. I don't know why. <laughs> but the lady, but I never forget the lady behind the desk sort of peering over at me and saying, two pounds is a lot of money for a little boy. Are you sure you should be spending that? And the guilt was overwhelming. <laughs> but it wasn't enough to stop me, so I bought the purse anyway. This was not a good example of fraternal love. I told my sister, actually, when I was praying, I said, 
Hannah, I stole two pounds from your windowsill when I was in year three. And she said, oh, that would have bought 20 B&H. <laughs> so she obviously doesn't care that much. Love you, Hannah. But the fact that I enjoy a good relationship with my sisters now is because forgiveness reigns, right? It just reigns. We may have fallen out. We may have argued. We may have said some pretty awful things to one another, but forgiveness reigns. Blood is thicker than water, they say. Well, the blood of Christ is thicker still. So allow forgiveness to reign in every single interaction you have with one another as a church because you're going to wind each other up and you're going to be annoying. You're just going to do it. You may think you're perfect. You're not. Allow the love of God to be the primary attribute that dictates how we speak to one another. Paul encourages us in Romans 12, 18. He says, outdo one another in showing honor. Brothers and sisters, let's outdo one another in showing love for one another, in showing honor for one another. Let's outdo each other. We're all bound here uniquely and intimately on a journey that God is calling us to in Hailsham. We're bound as a family under the Heavenly Father. We're bound as brothers and sisters. We're unified in Christ towards the vision that's set before us. The unusual term of brothers and sisters, we don't have that in our culture, but I love it. I don't have any brothers. I have the privilege of calling you my brothers this morning. It's such an honor. And sisters. Just realized I was favoring the men there. So you may not have had a very nice upbringing. You you may not have been shown what it is actually like to love people well. An example hasn't been set for you, and this can make receiving and demonstrating fraternal love more difficult. Our upbringing can have deep and long-lasting ramifications on how we interact and love one another. If we're brought up poorly and not loved properly, then this will have a negative impact on our ability to feel love and express love properly. So look with me at the start of today's verse in Thessalonians chapter 9. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. So it's God that taught the Thessalonians how to love each other well, not their own philosophy or personal experience or exceptional life circumstances. It's by God's grace that they were able to receive and reciprocate what they had been given. And as we we receive the love of God day by day, week by week, Sunday by Sunday, we go on to demonstrate the love of God to those around us out of an overflowing love in our own heart. Is the love of God overflowing in your heart? You know Brighton Rock, the sweetie with the words written all the way through? If I cut bits of you open spiritually, would you find the love of God written through every single area of your life? Or there perhaps are some areas where God isn't allowed in. Are you impacting those around you because of God's impact of grace in your life? Every single week, without fail, we offer the opportunity to come and receive prayer, to be filled with the love of God and to be touched by his spirit. Why settle for anything less 
And what God is calling us to do for an overflow of his love, to outdo one another in honour, Let's just look at the unity that we have with each other a bit closely. Because throughout the New Testament, if you're not a Christian here or a new Christian, there are so many places where we are referred to as being one with Christ. And it's such a unique part of the Christian faith. Let's look at just a handful. In Christ, we are created, crucified. We're buried with him. We are baptized into him and into his death. In the resurrection, we're united with him. We're seated with him in heavenly places. We are reconciled to God in one body through the cross. Christ is formed in us. He dwells in our hearts. We are the church, are in fact his body. He is in us. We are in him. The church is even one flesh with him. So we are a people united in him, under him. We're united through him, by him, for him. Where we are, he is. Where he is, we are. Where he goes, we follow. What he conquers is one for us. What is resurrected is life for us. What is crucified is dead to us. And our role is to pursue this unity with him, with everything that we have within us to chase for it, to ask for it, to plead for it, to carve out time in pursuit of it. And above all else in this life, our task and our role is to follow Christ and be with him in unity until he returns or we see him face to face. That is just what we were singing this morning. This is the bedrock of our faith. And it's the bedrock of loving our brothers and sisters this morning So I said a word that really struck a chord with me in the prayer meeting. He said the word align, aligning ourselves to God's word, aligning ourselves to be built on him and nothing else. And it reminded me of in the, I think it must have been the early 2000s, you know the Bell 2 lighthouse on the top of Beachy Head? Do you remember they moved that like 100 meters? This incredible feat of engineering. They literally lifted up the whole lighthouse and moved it backwards a certain amount of distance down the hill because it was, it was too close to the edge. The rocks were going to fall. It was going to fall into the sea. And, and as I said those words, I was reminded of it straight away. And I felt like God saying, you need to align yourself back onto what I am calling you to do, onto my word, onto my truth, onto nothing else. You're too close to the edge. I don't know what area of life that resonates with you, but you're too close to the edge. And that moving is painful and it's expensive, and it's time-consuming, and it's scary. And you're like, God, I, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I've built so much stuff on it. Just allow him to do that, right? Allow him to do that work in you, to align you up with him. Let's have two people stand up. I can't see anyone in the corner. Rod, you stand up for me. Let's have Rod stand up. Sorry, Rod. And uh, Amanda, stand up. Right, walking down the edge of the aisles, just walk towards me. This is a really silly example, I'm going to do it anyway. Just walk towards me, okay? Because as we pursue Christ as brothers and sisters, we are brought together in our love for one another. Thank you very much for that illustration. You can go and sit down now. That's all it was. 
But it's just that picture that actually, if we're building our love for each other, we don't have to worry too much about what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. Just keep pursuing Christ. Keep being drawn to Christ, and you will be drawn together, one another. And we're not perfect at loving one another. Myself right in the center of that statement. I stand here by the grace of God and nothing else. Let's be honest, warts and all, loving people is hard work. And we really need to hear Paul's words to the church urging us to do more. To not be satisfied with where we are, with how much we're showing love to each other, but to strive in Christ, striving in Christ to go further and to change the atmosphere of our family at home, our church, this town, by visibly demonstrating the self-sacrificial love of God. This was so much the case for the church in, in um, Thessalonia, Thessalonica, which one is it? Thessalonia, I should probably know. That their financial gifts, it says in the verses here, they spill over to the extent that there were people financially supported and Paul had to tell them literally go and get a job. Stop being lazy and go and get a job. And what's interesting is that for the Thessalonian church, the correlation between how much they loved each other, which Paul really encouraged them for, and how much money they were raising just seemed to be linked. Think about that for a moment. Everything I've just said to you about unity with Christ and unity with each other, why wouldn't this be the case? 1 John 4 verse 20 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Of course, the outworking of the love of God in our lives is generosity of spirit, generosity of time, of finances. How are we doing, Christchurch? How are we doing with our love for one another? I love this quote here by Nikki Gumbel. It says, Christian love is not the victim of your emotions, but the servant of your will. Love is 10% emotion, 20% understanding, and 70% will. I don't know how helpful those percentages are, to be honest. But what's clear is that love is not based on an emotion, which interestingly is what the world says exactly it is. That is exactly all the world says it is. You can fall into love and you can fall out of love. Rubbish. Bring your emotions into subjection to the will of God and determine in your heart to demonstrate his love to your brothers and sisters. Determine it. If someone talks down to you, Treat them as if they're more important than you. That's Philippians 2 verses 3. If they're rude to you or they're dismissive, forgive them in your heart and show them God's forgiveness with a smile. And if someone puts themselves first and acts selfishly, take the privileged position of servitude and allow them to walk first. Allow yourself to serve them. If someone speaks to you with a harsh word, Settle it in your mind to speak kindly to them, quickly forgiving them. And if someone's wronged you, then you go first to them and you reconcile that with them. Don't go around telling everyone what's happened. If they won't listen, speak to a life group leader. 
That's pretty well-known verses in Matthew. And I find that really short list really challenging, actually. I look over those words, and I see areas where I've fallen short of what God is calling me to do. But I'm inspired, and I'm encouraged, and I'm uplifted by the knowledge that it's not by my own strength, actually, that we're called to serve Jesus, but by his power and his strength and his Holy Spirit. It's the only way that we're going to do his will. Only he can change our hearts and turn bitterness into love. Only he can change our desires and turn anger into kindness. I can't do it. You can't do it. You can try and do it, but you'll end up exhausted. My final point here is about God's calling to those in the church being lazy, that they should work hard. They should walk humbly and lead a quiet life. It says in verse 11, and aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Paul's motivation is that the church wouldn't be a freeloading, lazy group of people with too much time on their hands, but rather a hard-working, quiet, and humble group of people who put their self-interests to one side for the greater good of the congregation. Members of the church received financial contribution for their lifestyle, but this wasn't in return for preaching the gospel, which is quite clear. This was simply so that they could be idle. And that's really unhealthy, to say the least. Hands up if you or your family own a car. So if you've got your hand up, you're in the top 10% of global wealth. Isn't that amazing? We are the fifth wealthiest country on the planet. And as a result, we do have a state benefit system that incredibly beautifully prevents people from becoming destitute or homeless or starving. However, this system can be manipulated, exaggerated, and used to create a comfortable lifestyle when the reality of the situation is you can go to work and you're able to contribute not only to the needs of the saints, but also to the needs of the state. And I believe God would be saying that through these verses. Pay our way. Pay our taxes fairly. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. And don't unfairly depend on the generosity of others. That includes state benefit. I remember hearing a song when I was a teenager by a band called Jonah 33, right? And they wrote this song called Working Man's Hands. And the words of that song had a really profound impact on me as a teenager. The second verse says this. It says, You say, if you love me, you'll obey me. I've wondered why. I gave your life for those around me. So you gave your life for those around me. So should I. God forbid that I should stand before you on that day with unblemished hands. Father, won't you show me how to have working man's hands? And this has been my prayer for many, many years. God, when I see you, I want to have calloused and blistered hands. Oh, can you imagine standing there and thinking, did I give everything? Did I really give everything to Jesus in my life? Did I really give it all? 
Or did I, on some level, just want to be comfortable the whole time? I want to have working man's hands when I see Jesus. And this is what Paul's call to the Thessalonian church is. Get up, get moving, and get building. Earn your keep and build the kingdom of God. So let me ask you, is your love of your brothers and sisters here this morning, is it reflected by your financial investment in the church? Is your hand on the plow fully? Because we should have the desire within us to be a hard-working people of God. We should. Men, we have a unique responsibility before God to lead our family and to lead the church. You are invaluable to God in his mission here. You are invaluable. It doesn't matter what job you have, from director to janitor. What you do is for the glory of God and how you conduct yourself at work and your work ethic glorifies God because he's our master. He's in charge and he's responsible. So let me close. The Thessalonian church was good, right? It was good at demonstrating its love for one another. But it wasn't perfect and Paul encouraged them to do even more. However good we are as a church for our love for one another, Paul would want us and urge us to be better and that we be renewed day by day by Jesus in his spirit, by his pursuit of him and allow him to change our desires for one another and increase our love for one another. He will call us to demonstrate the love of God to our communities We have Global Cafe teaching refugees. We have, to be announced properly next week, the Reflect Pregnancy Crisis team. We have little gems every week showing the love of God to mothers and children. We have CMA and Keys working with those trapped in debt and addiction. And Paul would affirm our efforts and call us to more. I believe he would. For an overflow of love and finances to meet the need around us. That's Paul phoning to affirm it. (laughs) It's the primary work of the local church that the wider community of Hailsham is going to hear the love of Jesus. It's through our work, right? That's the number one way that Hailsham is going to hear about Jesus is by the things that we do as a church to demonstrate it. And so it's right that I stand here humbly and ask you to consider your financial commitment to that vision for its work, And all it's set out to do, because we are on the cusp of something great. We are on the cusp of something new. We are at tipping point. I know it. I was looking at the church budget. If we increased our church budget by 10%, just 10%, it would have an exponential increase on the outreach and the ministry of this church. Because our costs are like more or less fixed and we have to talk to the trustees and accountants about that. But when you apply a 10% increase to the budget, it goes exponentially in other places. And I'm saying this because I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, because I want to encourage you that together we seek to increase the impact and the effectiveness of the church as we reconsider our financial giving. And I want you to know that as we increase the church budget, it has a huge impact on what we can do. Let's have the band up, shall we? After the service, I'd really like the opportunity to pray with you, and specifically for people who are in um, private business, self-employed, entrepreneurial. I just really have a heart for people and want to pray. I want to pray God's blessing because 
There's such a strong message in these verses to work hard and be productive, and it resonates with me because I've seen God bless my work and the work in my life and the work of other people in this church. Do you know, I was talking to one guy earlier in the year, and he set in his heart to give regularly and generously to the church, and that month he was given a completely unexpected promotion and pay rise. The very same month. And I can't say it's going to happen to everyone I pray for. That's not what I'm saying. But I know that God is willing and able to bless us as we seek to work hard for his glory. God is faithful. There's two other pictures I wanted to just share. And if it resonates with you, then please come for prayer. Um, One of them was a picture I've had for years, and I've never shared it before. And it's of a castle made out of Lego. And it's a really weird-looking castle. It's a really odd shape. And all the bits are from different Lego sets. I found that piece of Lego, didn't I, in the prayer meeting this morning? It's funny. All All the bits were made of different sets of Lego. And the castle looked nothing like it did on the box. But it was beautiful. What was being built was beautiful. And I just... I've, I've had that picture several times, and I just feel like God's saying, you feel like you don't belong. You feel like you're not here. You feel like you don't fit. You feel like you don't look the same or feel the same or act the same. But you are uniquely placed here. And God is building his kingdom with you. And you're important. And another picture that sort of came out the back of the prophecy meeting we had the other week... Um, and Anna Fry had a very similar picture, and it was of a forest clear fell. And there were loads of weeds growing up, brambles and bracken, and the trees are never going to germinate, it's never going to grow, and there's branches and everything. And this huge bit of forestry equipment mulched this path, this highway, as Anna said, this highway through, and the trees grew up. And I feel like God's saying these weeds are the things in our life that we allow to overgrow in our hearts, and God wants us to clear highways to him in our hearts, to clear highways to him. So if that resonates with you, I'd love to pray for you as well. And I'm going to pray now, and we're going to close with a song. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you are just so graceful with us, Lord, that you would choose a broken group of people to demonstrate your glory to the world, that you would be so pleased to dwell in us, to call us children, that you wash us and you sanctify us, And you robe us in your glory and you call us children of God. We thank you, Lord God, for that truth. Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit to be poured out right now on Christ Church. Lord, would you meet with everybody here this morning? Lord, we all need more of your love for one another. We all need more of your love. Lord, would you give us that gift this morning, Lord? Would you increase our love for those around us? so that it overflows, sloshes around and we bump into someone in Tesco and the love of God just sploshes out and impacts them. Father, would you do that in your son's name, Jesus Christ, amen.